Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and today we have another one of our mini masterclasses. So if you've missed our past mini masterclasses, we did one on gluteal tendinopathy with Tom Goom and Our second one was on adolescent uh, shoulder injuries and overhead athletes with Martin Asker. And today we have one on pelvic pain with the incredible Susan Clinton. So for those of you who do not know Dr. Susan Clinton, she is an award-winning physical therapist and co-owner and founder of Embody Physiotherapy and Wellness, which is outside of Pittsburgh. She is also an international instructor, mentor, and presenter of post-professional education and women's health and orthopedic manual therapy. She is active in teaching and research as an adjunct instructor for the University of Pittsburgh Chatham and at Slippery Rock University. She is a published author in peer-reviewed journals on topics such as chronic pelvic pain and clinical practice guidelines for pregnancy and pain. And because the month of August is all about bringing other podcast hosts onto the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, Susan is the co-host for the Tough to Treat a Physical Therapist Guide to Treating Complex Patients podcast with our dear friend, Erica Mello. So be sure to to check out Tough to Treat. And they're all about kind of what we're doing today, these little mini masterclasses on here we have this patient that came in with pelvic pain. Susan goes over how she would evaluate that patient and she gives us some possible treatment parameters. So everyone enjoy and uh, take lots of notes. Thanks. Hey, Susan, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Hello, Karen. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and share this case study with everybody. Exactly. So after I did an interview with Tom Goom a couple of months ago, I got a lot of positive feedback on the case study format. So we're having these little master classes with people who are masters in their respective fields. And Susan is a master in the pelvic health field. And that is why today our case study is a pelvic health case study. So I'm going to read the case study, and then Susan's going to tell us how she would evaluate this patient objectively, subjectively, and then give us some treatment options. The case study is as follows. The patient is a 31-year-old female presenting with right-sided intermittent pelvic pain. She is 13 weeks pregnant with her second child. She became pregnant again when her first child was only seven months old. She is complaining of sudden onset of pain with transitional movements, things like standing for 10 minutes, sitting for 20 minutes, better with walking and when she gets moving. Symptoms are always worse closer to the end of the day or if she has to do a lot of lifting and carrying of her child. She has tried chiropractic treatments, massage that did not change her symptoms. She is seeking input to decrease her pain and increase her overall strength and endurance during the second pregnancy. And also, she reports that her C-section scar is painful and worries her. So her first pregnancy uh, was an unplanned C-section. 
she had pelvic pain in her third trimester of her first pregnancy, which resolved with physical therapy. And since her C-section, her first baby didn't sleep and she had no consistent support. She played volleyball when she was younger and reports a history of injury to her right shoulder. Okay, Susan, that's our case study. So let's dive in. Let's start with the subjective part of our evaluation. What do you ask? So the subjective part, I think, is probably the most important. That's where I can glean the greatest amount of information about people and really actually try to dive a little deeper into um, what is really bothering them about some of the movements and the things that they're describing, as well as what their belief system is. So full disclosure, the this person that I'm talking about is kind of a conglomerate of two or three different types of, uh, I see this kind of, a, you know, in a roundabout way many, many times. Um, so I kind of pulled it together as a conglomerate. Um, the The issue with this particular person is that I had seen her before in her first pregnancy. So very successful, did really well, um, gave her, helped her find some movement strategies and things to to move through her pregnancy. Um, like like uh, Karen said, she had an unplanned C-section um, and really upset about her C-section scar and doesn't like it or to feel it. Um, she came back to me, she basically is the wife of a, of a, um, of a uh, professional sports um, her husband is a professional sports person. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So they don't live in the United States when he's active in his sport. So that's why she didn't have any support system when her baby was born. She had her baby and bam, they had to go. And, um, you know, and he was busy and rightly so. So she was kind of in a, in a place where she didn't really know anybody and a baby who's not sleeping. So she said that her first few months with her child up to like five months was a nightmare. Um, basically because just she was so sleep deprived and she said self-care went out the window and you know they they she did the best she could and you know they they practiced you know safe sex as much as they could and anyway long story short it happened she got pregnant again and she's back home now because it's the summer and they're off so she's she's back and has been able to kind of get support from her family and really start um, feeling the need to care for herself in a little bit of a different way. So she saw the chiropractic and the massage where she was um, in an effort to try to do something to feel better, but it didn't really help. So when she came back, she got in touch with me, which was great. I was happy to see her again. One of the things that I wanted to know was the transitional movements. What, what does that mean? You know, the, those are my words. She basically said when I'm moving. So the question is to me is when? And when I go to stand up, when I go to sit down, when I take that first step, um, moving in bed, the, that's a big one, especially in pregnancy and pelvic pain, moving in bed is the, one of the biggest ones they complain about because as you have, a, as you're pregnant, um, you know, there is some laxity to the connective tissue into the joints. That's normal. This is her second pregnancy that came on top of the first one. So there wasn't a lot of time for recovery. Um, but what happens is, is that if you lay on your back, for instance, you know, your pelvis, everything kinds of tend to settle down, you know, you get tissue creep and it happens a bit quicker in pregnancy than it does perhaps 
when you're, you know, past your postpartum period and, and you don't have that going on. So it almost becomes like a turtle trying to get off its back. You know, the tissue kind of creeps and it kind of gets stuck there and you have to kind of over, you know, overcome inertia to, you know, get moving again. And so the strategies they tend to employ sometimes can be painful with the movement. Same thing after sitting for a while when you go to stand up. Same thing after standing for a while when you go to sit down. You know, the tissue creep principles are kind of there. And again, for her, perhaps maybe a little bit more magnified, again, since she really went from one pregnancy right into the other, you know, pretty quickly. Um, so we talked about those uh, bending over to pick up her child was the biggest besides the bed mobility was certainly the worst one and that has to happen of course constantly throughout the All day the just, yeah this is a 10 month old that she has that is uh, on the motoric scale for child development this child is way past a one-year-old mark I mean this this child is walking and crawling and I'm doing all kinds of very interesting high level movement, but that means that mommy's running after her all the time. So, and she's not a small child either. She's, she's got some good oomph to her. So there, you know, there's some, there's some weight there that she's working with. Um, so we kind of discussed a little bit about those. And then I wanted to know, you know, I wanted, to, I asked her, I said, what do you think is going on? I wanted to hear, you know, what, what's what the mindset? Fears. Yeah. And what's her fears and what's her beliefs, you know, because I need to kind of know where she's coming from. So she talked a little bit about, she said, well, I have, you know, I had this C-section and I, I don't know if I ever really did the right things to get well afterwards. That was number one. Number two was, I'm afraid that this pelvic pain, because I had this kind of stuff before and I know I got through it, and then I had the C-section, and now I just don't know that I'm going to get on the other end of this. Okay, so we have a couple of things in there, right? We have, um, you know, kind of a uh, obstetrical kind of, um, I don't want to call it trauma, because a C-section isn't trauma, but to her it felt like trauma. So she kind of has the, you know, the whole thing, like, I didn't get to do this the way I wanted to. Um, so her I, expectations were not met. Right. Exactly. Within her first pregnancy. Absolutely. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. Thank you. Um, so we had, we had that particular mindset and then that something was terribly wrong and she's worried about the scar and the C-section and the fact that she feels like she's to blame because she didn't do what she should have done because she was too busy trying to care for this child who wasn't sleeping at night without any support. So she's not feeling real good about herself as a mother right now, and she's not feeling real good about herself and her body right now. And I wanted to kind of hear that and kind of tease that out just a little bit so I could, you know, begin to meet her where she is. The, the second thing that, that we talked about was what do you want to, what do you expect? I want to know what your expectations are with PT. What do you want? What, what would be your ideal outcome by coming here. Mm -hmm. And that was hard for her to answer because she had already said that she didn't feel like she could get past this. But I gave her some space and, you know, just let her kind of fiddle around with that in her head for a little bit. And finally, you know, after some tears, you know, because it's so hard, you know, you're close to your heart and, you know, everything that's been going on, you know, she finally said, what I, what I hope is, is that I really can get better and I'll be strong through this second pregnancy. And I'll have a different outcome with my second pregnancy, and I'll be a strong mother. You know, and so. did all this come out in the initial eval, or did this take a couple of sessions? Because, 
as you know, sometimes it's hard for people to open up at that first session. Absolutely. And I've had many times I'll pose the question to people and let them, you know, if they can't kind of pull it all together, say, that's okay. Just, I'm just hold that, you know, space, hold that and see what happens for you over the next week before you come back, you Mm -hmm. know, and we can talk a little bit more, but I want you to kind of, you know, think about what it is you really believe or think about what it is, you know, that you really want out of this. Yeah. Um, And I think it's important to mention that, especially for new graduates or even students who are on clinical rotations, because oftentimes everybody thinks you have to get it all in. Mm. You have to get all in at that first visit. And if you don't, how can you do your full eval? But it's okay to ask some questions and know that maybe you're not going to have all the answers on day one or day two. Exactly. But the good thing is, is that if you ask the questions in the right way, you can, you can get some deeper, deeper answers back. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, I don't present it like, what are your goals? I just want to know what they want what they what they what what their life would look like without this problem Mm -hmm. because that's where they you know what did what do you want where do you want to be and so I may phrase it in a bunch of different ways depending upon who I'm talking to and that can help a little bit but you have to kind of stand back and let them and try not to answer for them you know um, let them come up with where where they want to go and and what they really believe is going on Um, that to me helps really get the buy-in you know, because that signifies I'm listening, you know, I'm really listening to what you want and not what you think you should want. <laughs> because so many of my clients will say, well, I know I should, well, I know I, you know, and it's like, I didn't ask what you should, I asked what you want, you know, mm-hmm. I want to know what you really want, not what you think you should be doing. So, because that's, that's important as well. Yeah. The shoulda, coulda, wouldas are, yeah. are not great for, uh, for us trying to figure out how we can best serve these, these people in pain. Right. Cause they come up with all kinds of, well, I should have better posture. I should be stronger. I should take care of myself. Well, that's not, you know, I know I'm always like, okay, that's that's good. good. (laughs) Let's get back to you. (laughs) Exactly. What do you want? What do you think? So finding out those, those couple of things were really important. So I knew that at some point I was going to need to address the C-section scar. And so I kind of put that to the side thinking, okay, that's a piece that I want to do. Um, but I also wanted to address, you know, just kind of what was happening with this pelvic pain, pelvic girdle pain, whatever it was. So going forward, you know, we just decided to let's look at some things that are going to be the most important, biggest bang for my buck, uh, ways to really make sure that I'm headed down the right path. Because sometimes you think something is going on and then you, you really look at it and you realize, oh, well, actually, it really is this. If I can get them to move differently here, then that begins to change something somewhere else. Yep. So it's easy to take your eyes and go straight to the pelvis, you know, pelvis, pelvis, here we go, you know, low back, pelvis, hip. And, you know, I have my biases just like everyone else. And I always have to kind of try to say, okay, I'll look at a couple of things, but I'm also going to add some other pieces to it just to make sure I'm being complete. So as I kind of go through this, it'll make a little bit of sense for you all as to why I went where I go and what I did. So basically, um, I love to have people stand. I don't really spend a lot of time um, going into, well, this iliac crest is higher and they're shifted this way. You know, what I really want to see is how does she stand? 
you know, what is happening in standing? And if I actually load her in standing, does that increase or decrease her symptoms? So I already simple. know that, so yeah. Keeping it simple already. Right. And I'm not going to worry too much about the position she's standing in. I do want to know if they're like really weight shifted off to one side or another side, you know, if they're twisted and turned a whole bunch. And, and basically, I'm just going to load that posture and see how that, that feels. And so when you say you're going to load that posture, can you explain how you do that for the sure, listeners? Sure. So all I do is take my hands and put them on top of the shoulders and just do a little bit of compression straight down. Okay. If this was a cervical, more of a cervical issue, I'd put my hand on the head. Okay. And, and when and you do that, what are you're looking for reproduction of symptoms? Reproduction of symptoms okay. or a worsening of symptoms. Okay. So she may have a little bit of irritation when she stands up, but I'm looking to see if that drastically changes it. Sometimes it makes people feel better. Sometimes it doesn't. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes it makes them feel worse. Um, so that's just good information to have. And it just lets me know that if I can get her to shift and move out of that posture, then we can reload and see, does that feel different? So right away, I'm setting up what Eric Franklin, I love what Eric Franklin calls it, consumer comparison. So she has to pay attention to what's going on with herself. And then as we change and do some different things, does it feel different now? Does it feel different? If it does feel different, how? You know, is it worse? Is it better? Is it the same? Got it. So what, what are we doing? It's sort of this trial and error, if mm -hmm. you will. So you're mm -hmm. looking at her in different, so you are, you're taking her in standing, you're loading her in standing in different positions in different weight bearing, let's mm -hmm. say more to the right, more to the left. What are you mm -hmm. feeling? Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. Yep. And also a forward and back sway. So I kind of try okay. to get the whole kind of like, if we shift here, what does that do? If we shift here, what does that do? Okay. So, um, after, so just looking at her in that posture, she really was, and it was, it was very interesting to me because this is right-sided pain, right? So most people are sitting there thinking, okay, well, she's probably deviated to the left. But she was really really deviated to the right. I mean, markedly so. When I saw her stand like that, I was like, oh, okay. And and her trunk was rotated left. So okay. this was where she liked to stand. And I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder how she holds her baby. So I put that to the side thinking, we'll get to that in a minute. But I just wanted to mark that. So all I did was just have her sway on her feet, say, can you shift your weight to where you feel your left foot underneath you more than your right foot? I'm not going to like get into this. Let's bring your pelvis over and do, you know, all of that stuff. Just shift. Smart. And she did. And I, and basically, how is your symptoms? Well, actually that feels better. Okay. Why is she choosing to stand in a painful posture? Because we just get these patterns in our head. It just happens. Mm -hmm. We don't mean to be that way. It's just kind of human. Plow through, right? Soldier on. Um, so we did, we did a couple of things. And, and I took her right into one-legged stance. Because the reason is pregnancy, pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy, um, there's a, there, we have a couple of really good classification systems. Uh, one that Albert laid down. And then Chad Cook came in with a group from Duke and validated it and added some pieces to it. And one of the things that they found in his study where you don't have to do all of those clusters of SI testing and all of that stuff that in pregnancy um, you can look at simple things like the one-legged stance the lunge 
um, abduction and sideline. There's a couple of things that they found that were super, super sensitive. And so I just took her right into one-legged stance immediately um, because she was already kind of standing, interestingly. And what was interesting that when I had her stand on her right leg, that she liked to stay way over, like over on that right side, but she had a lot of difficulty unweighting that left leg to, to lift it up and she couldn't really hold it for very long. So dynamic, it may have been okay statically for her to be there, but dynamically it didn't work so well for her. And what um, is that telling you? What are you noting in your head? Like, okay, she could not lift up her left leg. She had trouble transitioning fully onto the right. What are you thinking, thinking in your head at this point about a possible hypothesis? So my possible hypothesis at this point is that there are some muscles that have switched off with her and there are some muscles that are running the show with her. And so to be, um, so to me, some of the muscles that were being inhibited because of the pain were muscles like the gluteus medius or the lateral, the muscles on the lateral side. Um, and just watching that trunk twist and, and kind of watching some of the other things that are going on is like, was she overworking maybe her obliques or her, you know, quadratus on that one side, just a little bit to make up for her lateral stabilizers, not really, you know, kicking in as they should. Mm -hmm. And, um, it also drives me to think whenever I have pregnancy, girdle, pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy, and you can certainly look at this in the postpartum and later in life as well, is that one of the biggest muscles on the inside of the pelvis is the obturator internus. Okay. And it's an external rotator. So especially when the leg is straight, when the hip is at zero, the obturator is a wonderful external rotator and it's massive on the inside of the pelvis. So the reason it's so massive on the inside is it has something to do with being able to hold them in space and, you know, maybe pull things together a little bit. So everything isn't quite as, you know, as um, just as lax as it could be. And, and looking at how she was standing and how she was shifting her weight even further to try to get onto her right leg, she was continuing to shift and, and rotate to the left, which is internal rotation of that right hip, if you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. That obturator internus is put in a position where it's at its link tension relationship is no bueno. I mean, it is like long, right? It's, it's yeah. being pulled into a lengthened position because it is an external rotator. So we can't turn on to save its soul if it wanted to with that kind of strategy. So we've right. got the muscles on the outside and the muscles on the inside that for whatever reason are not firing up the way. And so she's, she's leaning quite a bit over to the right just to sort of, if you will, take that plumb line to the outside of the hip so that the yep. So she doesn't have to really use the muscles. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about that, um, you know, so that's kind of like almost like a, like, you know, moving into a Trendelenburg, mm -hmm. you know, over onto the right side. And that's why it was difficult for her to lift her left knee up to stand on her right leg. Plus it hurt. Okay. You know, and then we go over to the left side and she's able to lift her right leg. It doesn't feel great back there, but I've already kind of like made her a little bit worse by doing the right side. Um, but not a big deal. And she was able to get onto her left leg and lift her right leg up. And she was able to hold okay. for a good, you know, 20, 25 seconds, which Pretty good. yeah, that's yeah. really good. You know, I'm like, I'm impressed going, okay, there are things that are working. <laughs> if we could just get this side to match this side, maybe mm -hmm. there'll be some back and forth that can actually happen. So those were important things. I didn't need to load her 
in one-legged stance on the right because she was already symptomatic as soon as she tried to lift her leg up. So you can kind of follow me there. Um, had she been able to get on her right leg and lift her leg up and it wasn't changing her symptoms or her symptoms weren't worsening, then I would load. But I didn't need to do that. As soon as we went into that on that side, the loading that she did to get over that leg was enough to knock her symptoms back up. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to do, then you have a kind of, I kind of have a choice here. I can, you know, it's so hard to eval and not treat, right? Of course. Because we're, yes. you know, assessing and doing all the time. And in fact, even just these movements are putting input into our central nervous system. So there's already changes starting to happen. So I look at this and again, my bias, you know, I'm thinking pelvis, I go and put my hands on her pelvis on both sides. And I think, okay, let's just, you know, again, sway back over to the left a little bit like we did before that felt pretty good. And I just kind of, you know, said, all right, I'm just going to keep my hands here. And from this position, I want to see if you can raise your leg up. Which leg? her left leg so okay. stand on your right leg thank you and it's so obvious to me in my head <laughs> stand on your right leg and lift your left leg up and she's it didn't hurt but she couldn't do it she just couldn't figure out a motor plan to make that happen so and said, when, okay. you, when you say you have your hands on your pelvis are you giving any support are you sort of pressing inward at all or are you just kind of laying hands on i'm just kind of laying. i became a boundary just okay. So that she wouldn't, you know, she'd run into my hand if she tried to deviate over, mm. you know, so it just kind of gives them a little bit of a, don't go so far mm -hmm. without me like holding, holding. Cause I want to mm -hmm. really see what's going to kick on them, you know, what they can kick on themselves. And I don't want it to be about my compression, at least not at this point, you know, if, if it never could get anywhere, then maybe you have to give a stronger input. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. If the symptoms changed, but we already knew they changed when she shifted to the left. So that mm -hmm. didn't surprise me, but she still couldn't get that leg up. And she kept trying to push herself over to get the leg up, push herself over to the right. Okay. So she's trying to push herself over to the right. You're prohibiting her physically mm -hmm. from doing that. And she could not figure out how to get her left leg up off the ground. Exactly. Okay. Got mm -hmm. it. So what does that, that tell you? That tells me that for whatever reason, she is not, she's this whole side over here on the right side, that there's a discoordination going on with the muscles. And so the motor plan or pattern that she has isn't a, you know, she's really deviating every time she takes a step, probably. So I'm kind of thinking that I didn't really look at her gait much. You know, people walk in and they've got stuff going on and I look a little bit, but I don't pay a lot of attention right in the beginning. So I'm thinking, wow, if she's really having trouble getting her leg up, every time she has to lift that leg up, she's got to come way over here and that's her pain and she's sensitized on that side. And if I can do something to help her get off, that's great. But moving her pelvis over didn't help. Okay. So I think, okay, well, what else can I do? Well, there was a lot of rotation in the trunk. So I thought, well, you know what, let's just take that trunk and give it a little bit of a boundary so it doesn't rotate left when she stands on her right leg. And so I just, you know, again, putting my hands in a position to just keep her trunk from rotating left and giving her a little support there, then she was able to lift her leg up. Okay. So, so what does that tell you? <laughs> so that tells me that there is something happening above this whole pelvis that may be contributing strongly to her muscle discoordination that's going on. And 
you know, and it seems to be the trunk rotation. So the next thing I went to look at was standing rotation. So feet on the floor, doing the full twist, had eyes, trunk, everything. Mm -hmm. She could get herself around, but I'm looking at her trunk and there's really not a lot of movement going to the right at all. You know, she's just not rotating a lot. It's being made up for in her hips and her knees and her feet and her head, you know, to kind of get herself around. But those shoulders aren't coming back like I'd like to see, you know, and just like that full, nice axial rotation. Going to the left, no problem at all. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So based on what I've seen so far. So just to check and make sure, you know, that we're looking at something in the thorax or maybe the TL junction, I have her sit down. And we do seated trunk rotation. And once again, to the left, really good. To the right, just not so good. Um, and, you know, and not so good meaning range of motion not so good? Like or, range of motion not so okay. good. Now, it wasn't okay. driving pain sitting to do that. And it didn't really drive her pain standing that much, um, you know, because her feet were flat on the floor. And she was already beginning to bring herself over to the left side because she was learning. So that happens really fast in evals. So, <laughs> which is why I kind of consider evals are, you know, kind of actually starting into treatment right away. For sure. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, so right there, because this is what I like to do, I like to see if I can change it. All right, if she's not rotating to the right, can I get her to change that? Um, so I, I gave her a couple of cues, trying to look a little bit more with your eyes. None of that was really working. So I just went ahead and put, you know, my hand on her, you know, like scapular thoracic area, my other hand on her thorax, kind of, you know, on the side, her left thorax on the side. So right hand was on the right scapular thoracic area. And I just said, just push into my hand, you know, and, and, hard to figure out so I just said so I just twisted her towards the left and I said resist me so she would have to twist back to the right and we just did that a few times and you know kind of played around with it and I asked her to repeat it and it started to improve so it's like yay that means that her central nervous system can actually get this to change which is really mm -hmm. really nice we just have to figure out how to get the pieces and parts to coordinate together a little bit better for it so I'm keeping that in the back of my head because I'm thinking the, the thorax being able to, to rotate both sides, if that can happen, what happens down at the pelvis? Does it begin to change and does her stance change and her weight shift and her ability to lift one leg up and off the bed so or off the floor when mm -hmm. she's standing? So we've got that set to the side. Um, then the next thing that I wanted to do was what I really wanted to do was I really wanted to do squats next, but I already had done some good stuff to give me a lot of good information. So I felt at that point she needed a little bit of a break. We had made some changes. So we sat down and talked just a little bit about, remember when we did bed mobility and stuff before when you were in your third you know, trimester and we changed that to remember some of the cues that we did because she admitted that everything was out of her head, you know, when, when she had her baby and, and rightly so that happened. Of course. Yeah. Think about that kind of stuff. And so the reminders were good. We talked about uh, the strategy that I love to give to people is either voice or breath, um, you know, so that I can make sure they're not breath holding as they, as they work. And if we can get a little bit more of an exhale when it's, when they need a little bit of effort, mm -hmm. so just a little bit more of a resistance to exhale. So a more of a, you know, has a little bit of sound to the, to the air when you blow versus a really hard. Um, you know, so do you want, do you want people to blow out really hard or not as hard? It depends on how much effort they need. Okay. 
So I, yet, I let them kind of, in the beginning, when they're trying not to breath hold, they probably have a stronger exhale. But my hope is, is that as the motion gets better and easier and more efficient, they don't have to work so hard. Okay, that makes so, sense. But I don't want them to use full effort to get in and out of bed by holding their breath because that's not really appropriate. We want no. to be able to have, and to call on those deep postural control muscles with exhale, such as her deep abdominals, the pelvic floor, you know, those muscles will mm -hmm. come on a little bit more automatically with, with, that, with that exhale um, versus not, which is kind of nice because it, we know it needs to be an automated system that it's not Correct. something to think about. Let me lift up my pelvic floor, then I'll move, you know. <laughs> no, it, doesn't, it just doesn't, doesn't work, work that, that way. way. No. <laughs> And now if I could just go back to one question, mm -hmm. um, let's say she, she wasn't kind of a little tired or worn out. Why would you want to look at a squat? Um, and we're going to get to that in a minute because oh, I actually okay. had to do it, but okay. I wanted to see if squatting, if the same movement pattern happened in squatting. So, so the, the lean to the right rotation mm -hmm. to the left, if right. it happened or if it was exacerbated with squatting, because that might tell you what happens when she gets out of a chair. Exactly. And the other thing is, is it tells me how dominant that pattern is. Mm -hmm. If I see that pattern show up in a lot of different movement patterns, you know, a lot of different movement strategies, then that to me is important because it's not that I worry so much, you know, like I always tell people, there's no such thing as a bad posture. It's nope. just a dominant one. Mm -hmm. And if this one's ruling the day and, and when you're in it, you don't feel good, then we really need to change the strategies. The other thing is you look at squats, it straightens up and clears up. It's like, oh, this is good. I like this show me how you pick up your kid because I promise you they don't squat to pick up their child. <laughs> they lean over and bend over and do something, you know, a little bit different. So there, there's kind of two reasons that I look at that, but yes, getting out of a chair is important. And again, looking for that same pattern. So basically we were going to get on the bed and do a little bit of some testing on the bed. Her scar, her C scar is important to her. And you know, she really, I know she wanted me to at least address it in some way that could help her. So I thought this is a good time to take a break, lay down for a little bit, and let's take a look at this. So, you know, I had her just remember her movement patterns, use her breath, you know, and go and get yourself, you know, get on the bed and lay down. So she did. And then the first thing she said to me was, when I do that, it pulls at my C-section scar and I don't like that. When she is laying, going from sitting to lying down? Mm -hmm. okay. And I had her bring her breath on, which would automate and bring those muscles in a little bit. She didn't like the feel. I, of the I was going to say, I bet, I bet she didn't like that even more. Yeah, she didn't. Yeah. And so no wonder that strategy went out of her head. Mm -hmm. Why would you do something that you're afraid of? <laughs> so, yeah, so that was like huge. And it was like, no wonder her, probably her anterior chain isn't turning on, you know, because it pulls on the C-section scar and it doesn't feel good to her. And then that hits that worry button and, you know, the fear and anxiety piece comes up a little bit for her. Mm -hmm. um, she was, thank goodness she told me, you know, because right then and there is like, let's change it. Let's figure out something else to do. So I told her, I said, when you get up, we're going to do it in a different way so that this won't make you feel, you know, so that let's find a new strategy so that you don't have to feel that every time. So anyway, so we, I did a little bit of scar assessment. For those of you who have never done a scar assessment, I basically put my fingertips right on the scar and I moved the scar in many directions. And what I'm looking for is, first of all, how does it feel? Is it 
you know, stiff? Is it flexible? Is it pliable? Is it painful? Painful to the palpation. Um, she really didn't like my fingers being on her scar. And I asked her, I said, is it painful? And she goes, no, it just doesn't feel like it belongs to me. It feels dead. And I said, okay. That's That's really yeah. important to know. Huge. Because she's already disconnecting this part of her body from herself. Yeah, she's disembodied herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought, okay, as David Butler likes to say, I need to get her to fall in love with this again. <laughs> she's got to fall in love with her abdomen again. And so I'm wondering in the back of my mind, too, how much of her advancing pregnancy as she goes, knowing that she's going to get big again, if this, you know, how she feels about that scar being pulled on. So, so I, you know, I, I took my fingers off the scar, of course, and put her clothing back over it and put her hands on top of her clothing over her scar. And I said, how is that? She goes, that's actually okay. I can deal with that. I said, all right, that's great. Let me show you how to start moving your scar around a little bit so that we can get it to where it doesn't feel so sensitive. And it's not going to feel so tugged every time you use your abdominal muscles and your abdominal muscles change, uh, you know, especially while you're getting, you know, while you're advancing in your pregnancy. So I got her to be able to mobilize her scar through her clothes, which to me was a tremendous like victory. She was happy. She said that her friend has had a C-section and her dad is a plastic surgeon and has told her that she needs to be massaging her scar every day. And I knew I needed to do it, but I couldn't. It's like, well, but now you have a strategy to do it. So, you know, and the, the goal is to get her to get her fingers on her scar and touch and be able to move that around a little bit better and just get to know herself a little bit better again in a way that's not so scary. But this way worked. So it was like, perfect. Okay, so she did a little bit of scar massage. And I said, this time, let's just practice your breath, you know, your exhale so that you can kind of feel the pattern again and let's see how that feels on your scar before we go to sit up you know let's just see how it goes so she was able to do it laying on her back and it's like okay so while I had her there I just did the active straight leg raise test so if anybody knows what that is it's laying on your back lifting your feet up um, 12 inches off the bed one foot at a time one foot at a time mm -hmm. and your the, the goal is according to Gutke and the original research is which side either feels heavier or painful you know, so it basically, the active straight leg raise test is a test of load transfer on your back. Mm -hmm. So we did load transfer standing on one foot. Now we're doing load transfer on her back. And then, of course, the supine to sit and sit to supine is a load transfer test as well. So when we did that, she felt some pain on the right side as she lifted the right leg. The left leg she was able to do, it didn't hurt, but she had a big drop of her pelvis to the right as she lifted her left leg so in other words the pelvis dropped down towards the bed as the left leg came up I didn't see the same strategy on the other side so again that kind of feeds into that same little bit of what's going on through here that could be problematic so I, I, I went back to her pelvis and this time I did add compression so I'm on both sides of the pelvis up closer to the ASIS and I'm just coming in with a compressive load just to kind of like you know, to get it, the pelvis to feel like the muscles in front are kind of working. That's what that's for. And had her lift her right leg and her left leg again. 
And it, her strategy, it didn't, she still went back to the same strategy, even with the compressive load. And the reason that in pregnancy, we do that particular test is it lets us know that if compression helps, that possibly a compression belt may be a benefit mm -hmm. to them. Okay. Right. right. There's a caveat about that with people who have a little child that's running around like crazy is they hate those belts and they don't want to put them on. So I was just doing it to see what would happen in front. The interesting thing was that she didn't complain about her scar. I was like, okay, that's good. Like that. You know, she was able to move and lift her legs up and it did. She wasn't complaining about her scar pulling. So that was pretty cool. Um, so just for kicks and grins, <laughs> Even though there's no evidence for this, I thought, well, you know, when I put my hands on her thorax before, she did better. I wonder what would happen if I came in and I put my hands on her thorax. And so, you know, I did it like down low on the lower ribs, you know, the ones that do the, the bucket hand breathing. Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of came in with a bit of a compressive force and I said, try it now. And she could do beautifully on both sides without pain. And so now I can get to the question that you've been burning about, Karen, which is, what do you think is going on? Yes. Here's what, what I think is what going is on. What is happening? <laughs> Here's what I think is going on is she is using her diaphragm as a postural control muscle mm -hmm. and not as a respiratory muscle. Because when I came in and I acted like, you know, giving compression in like the diaphragm would with a breath hold, she was able to do better. So I asked her laying there, I said, hold your breath take breath, breath out, breath in, breathe out a little bit, hold your breath and lift your legs and she could do it better. Okay. So that's a lot of effort though to control the whole lower quarter. So hypothesis wise, why is she using her diaphragm as a postural control muscle? Because when you have a baby, whether it's C-section or vaginal delivery, it's like popping a balloon. So you grow and grow and grow and grow, particularly first pregnancy, and everything has this wonderful tension throughout the system. And, the, and it gets, you know, that last month, it's crazy that you can still get bigger, but you do. And you've got all this great tension. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. Everything goes, whoomph. And That's so, quite the visual. Yeah, it is quite the visual. But it's the truth. Think about it. I mean, yeah. everything just goes boom, yeah. right? So muscles that are long in pregnancy are now hanging. No way are they going to turn on. They're not in a position to turn on. Their sarcomeres are too much out in, in parallel, and growing so, in a long muscle. And so when we're talking about muscles hanging, are we talking about rectus abdominis? Rectus abdominis, obliques, TA. Yeah. yeah. And then think about the loss of tension through the thoracolumbar fascia. Mm -hmm. because those muscles can no longer pull and provide tension through that stabilizing system back there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like somebody, you know, took the, the tension cords off of the bridge and the top of the bridge collapse, you know, down onto the bridge. So, but the brain says, I don't know what's going on down there, but somebody figure out a strategy because the baby's crying and we need to get going. Mm -hmm. And so her brain does whatever it possibly can right. because the pelvic floor is lengthened, the, the abdominals are all lengthened, everything is different. So it's like something tighten up, something do something. Yeah, so, something in that pelvic area or in the abdominal in or the, the thoracic, system. in the pressure system. I, yeah, I was going to say that, but I didn't know if people were, know what we're talking about. But something in the pressure system has to work. So if it's not the rectus abdominis, the obliques, pelvic floor, multifidi, 
Then it's diaphragm. It's got to be the diaphragm. Yep, diaphragm, glottis, breath holding. Did she have any like um, uh, acid reflux or anything like that happening? Mm -mm. Mm. Nope. So everything else, like I said, in her history, there was no other, yeah. I, I asked her digestive stuff. Yeah, I yeah. asked people about bowel and bladder, if there was mm -hmm. no leaking anywhere. Um, you know, there, uh, you know, probably maybe a little constipation. It wouldn't surprise me. She's on prenatal vitamins and then yeah, she's yeah, on yeah. postnatal vitamins and now she's on prenatals again and she's no longer breastfeeding. So the, the constipation is a, another story for another day, but um you know, but this, what I wanted to find out was what is, where, where can I get the best change for her right away that's going to help her strategies and her and desensitize that right side of her pelvis pretty mm -hmm. quickly. So that was like, a, you know, it made sense. Can't rotate, you know, um, when we, when we give her some support there, she actually can move things a lot better. So the final thing that I did with her was I asked her, I need you to show me how you hold your baby. Mm -hmm. I gave her a pillow because she didn't come in with her baby this time. Mm -hmm. She came in mm -hmm. next time with her baby. So I said, just put your baby on your body like you hold your baby all the time. And that's when it starts with that. Well, I know I should. I said, I, I, it's really okay. Show me no what you No judgment. Because <laughs> there's you absolutely do. no right or wrong to this. It's just helping me solve this movement puzzle here that's going on. So... She took the pillow, and at first, it was really funny. At first, she said, well, I, I carry the baby on the right. And so she kind of put the pillow there and walked in. And she goes, actually, no, I don't. I carry the baby on the left all the time. And it was like, well, just show me. So what she did was she put her baby on her left side. She shifted over to put her hip underneath the baby. So this is different pattern, right? Because she used, likes to stay deviated to the right when yeah. she doesn't have her. So she's, her, her pelvis deviated to the left underneath the baby. But what happened? Her trunk actually rotating. increased its rotation to the yeah. left. Yeah. Makes sense, right? You're totally. attending to the baby on the left side. Mm -hmm. And the baby's strong and moving around. So she's getting this input to rotate left, rotate left, rotate left all of the time. All the time. Yeah, so her motor cortex bigger. is so trained now to go to the left right. so you can figure out a different movement pattern. Yeah, it's know. just laying this pattern down like, yeah. like, a, like, like a crazy fiend up there because it's also getting loaded because mm -hmm. the baby's growing <laughs> and the baby is variable. So the baby's moving. So this pattern is really getting not only strong but very enriched to the left. And it's like, okay, this is going to – this makes a lot of sense here. And so what do we do? I have a hypothesis. I've kind of supported the hypothesis and we found out, you know, how this pattern that she has is actually getting strengthened. So it isn't some, and this makes sense to me why she stands the other way because the, the left rotation of the thorax is driving her to the right. Mm -hmm. And that's where the, that's where the, 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 to me, the crux of the pattern was was right there, you know, in that thorax, and typically the lower thorax, where the diaphragm is, you know, the lower part of the thorax that goes into the low back. We all know the diaphragm comes around in the front. It's a big, giant, powerful muscle. It can work as a postural control muscle, but it's primarily supposed to be a respiratory muscle. Mm -hmm. 
and it's part of this rotation pattern that's pulling her. Now, here's the good news. We knew by sitting on the bed and doing rotation to the right, maybe giving her a little input, playing around, you know, switching up some motor things, she was able to begin to change it. So you can only imagine what my home program looked like for her. Whatever it was going to be needed to involve right thoracic rotation because mm -hmm. it needed to get that to be part of her system. I don't need to train the left. So people will say, oh, you just have them do rotations left to right. And it's like, oh, she's really good no, at the left. Just to the right. Gonna, we're just going to do the right. She's right-handed. So it was easy to start thinking of things. So if you can imagine thinking about, okay, how do I want her to rotate to the right? Well, and with as much variation as possible. So how do you empty your dishwasher? You know, which side is it on? You know, it's on the right side. Okay, so instead of facing the dishwasher, what I want you to do is I want you to twist and go down to the dishwasher, you know, so that you're twisting right a little bit. When you do things, you know, reaching across, I want you to kind of just, you know, emphasize it. Do it three or four times instead of just reaching over and putting something that way. Reach up and out, you know. So we kind of just got a little bit of some movement going in right rotation and you know and with her arm up in the air with her arm coming out to the side if you know with her arm going down and back to just begin to start to to feed that and then made sure that as she was doing that it wasn't bringing her symptoms on mm -hmm. so that was that was really good so she she felt good about that because she said it, it actually makes me stand different fine whatever fine. i'm happy yeah as and, long as it's not driving your pain that's good <laughs> and i think it's important to note for those listening especially again for those younger therapists or students that your home exercise program wasn't like i want you to do three sets of ten of right. this movement with a band with a weight or what have you it was incorporating what she does in everyday activities but doing it a little differently and explaining specifically why she was doing what she was doing. So it's different. That's a very functional, quote unquote, um, home exercise program for a busy mom. Exactly. Because there isn't time in her day for her to stop and give me 30. Does it, it, it yeah. just isn't. Exactly. So this is some other strategies I used with her. I also got her to put her hands on the, like on, like on the countertop. And while she's waiting for the microwave to ring or the, you know, bottles to heat up because she had stopped breastfeeding at this point because she was worried that she needed to keep whatever nutrients she had for herself. And she made it for eight months with her baby before she got, kind of got worried and stopped, which is all fine. No judgment. Get it. So she's, you know, doing the bottle thing and that's fine. So it's like, okay, hands, you know, straight out, arms straight out, hands on the countertop. Why am I doing that? To prevent her from rotating to the left. March. Up and down. Right? Keeps her trunk still. And it allows her to begin to have to deal with central nervous system. Why has to deal with how can I get that foot up without deviating? Well, she actually is being not able to deviate or rotate to the left because her left arm's in the way so she can start moving. So that was something easy to do. I have her do it on the stroller. She's always got the stroller. I had her do it and when you're in the grocery store, both hands on the grocery cart and walk. Got it. You know, so it became something. I said, now your grocery store can be kind of your exercise. You know, so just arms out straight and just walk. And see mm -hmm. how it's same with the stroller. Arms out straight and walk. And let's just kind of get that going. Um, walking became much easier right away. 
which was good. So then the, the final piece of the puzzle that I needed to make sure I covered before she walked out the door was what are you, because these car seats that go into strollers, ay, 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 ay. Car seats? Oh, that like. The baby seats. Stroller? Yeah, the ones that fit uh -huh. from the stroller to the car to, you know, they're yeah, yeah, yeah. in the little canister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, you got to tell me how you're carrying the car seat. You know, so she said, I, 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 I carry it on the right side and my pain goes up immediately. She hadn't even thought about that mm. until I asked her. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's interesting. Show me. So, you know, I have kind of a bag with some, you know, handles. And I said, just show me. And what she did was it, it made her, she, she still, you know, she, she kind of, she was trying to figure out how this DV, you know, changing her stance. So she was already learning. It was hard for her to kind of do the same thing, which is great. That means her system was changing right away. Mm. What she did was she kind of side bent right and rotated left. Right oh yeah, that into, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, right back into yeah. her pattern. She did yeah. that, and I imagine if I had looked at that in the beginning, she probably would have been deviated to the right too. Mm -hmm. So I said, "Do you always carry it in the right hand?" And she goes, uh, "Yeah, I guess I do." And I said, "What happens if you carry it in the left?" She, you know. So she said, "I don't know. I'll have to try it." I said, "Okay, that's something to sort out." But I said, "In the meantime, while you're kind of going through this, mm -hmm. I'm just going to offer a suggestion for you to kind of think about. And what I want you to think about is." can this do you have something for your baby to get into in your house or is that the only thing you have that's that seat that goes to the stroller in the car and the you know all of that mm -hmm. she goes oh no 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 my we have like we have a like room set up and she you know and a playpen and all this stuff and okay she goes that just sits by the front door and i said well okay. then let me offer you a, a a change to think about what would happen if you actually carried your baby into the house you know, um, and Just find like, a different way to carry your baby so rather than carry carrying her, the car seat. Yeah. Okay, carry her in your arms. Yeah. yeah. And then this is what, you know, people are so smart. She goes, well, what if I, what if I just carry her in front like this? I said, brilliant. In the baby carrier? No, without the baby carrier. Oh, with the, okay. Pick out the baby, carry the baby into the yeah. house. She, did, she said she didn't need the baby carrier in the house. So it's Perfect. like, well, if you don't need it in the house, why are you torturing yourself? Why are you, yeah. yeah. You know, because it's amazing. You know, one thing. <laughs> we like, just get into patterns. I know. It's like people don't realize that they're doing what they're doing and what they're doing might be exacerbating the symptoms that they're coming mm -hmm. to see you for. And then when you bring it up, they're like, oh yeah, why oh. did I think of that? <laughs> So, and I love the way that she came up with putting the baby in front of her and holding the baby. Um, and it was her strategy she developed. I didn't have to give it to her. And I said, give it a try and see how it works. But mm -hmm. I'm happy because I'm thinking that's going to keep her from going back into her rotation side, rotation to the left side, yeah. you know, all that kind of crazy stuff she was doing. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, she goes, and I'll start trying to pull her over on the right side. It's like, fine, just do whatever you choose to do. Just make sure you, you change it, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're hurting and holding her, that's the time to stop and say, can I do this different? Mm -hmm. Instead mm -hmm. of just saying, I'll be home in an hour. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's stop trying to endure and start trying to make changes in the moment. So if you bend over to pick her up and it hurts, stop and say, how can I do it different? Mm -hmm. And I said, find a different way to do it. I said, if nothing else, bring your feet wider apart and squat down. Just give it a try. You know, I gave her a couple of choices to pick from. She'll, she'll come up with her own choices as she moves forward. Mm -hmm. 
But I wanted to give her enough things that was going to change her right away, but not overwhelm her. That's what's the hard part, right? Is Because in our heads, we're like, oh, they could do this, 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 this. And you're like, no. And if you do this and then you start talking and you tell all these things and you know what people hear about 10% of what you say. Yeah. So if you just say, you know, why don't we work on some simple mobility exercises or some simple strengthening, or let's just work on changing a pattern. And I think I like what you did where, uh, you're saying these are the principles I want you to think about when you're moving. Mm-hmm. Decide on how you want to act on those principles, but stick to the principles. Mm-hmm. And throw out what's right or wrong. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. there is no right or wrong. Her body right. is going to be changing rapidly again. Yeah, yeah. If I lock her into one movement pattern, I've sunk her boat. And because that sticks, because she's going to yeah. say, my PT said I can only do it this way. Exactly. I, I, can, I, I never twist. Why do you never twist? Because somebody, somebody told, told, me. told me not to. It was like, ah! So at the end of every treatment session, for those of you out there who are listening, you can do some fun things. But let me tell you, put your ego to the side because you'll be, it takes a while to kind of get over it. Ask your clients when you finish what their one take home message is. Smart. And then close your mouth and listen, because that will help you change your practice more than anything else. Because when you hear what comes out of their mouth, you'll be like, oh, my goodness gracious, that's what you got out of this hour? That is is not what I meant. (laughs) That's right. So sometimes it's better if we, like, close it and we move and do things than Mm -hmm. it is if we give, like, this 45-minute educational thing that they can only take 10% of send that in an email you know here I want Mm -hmm. you to read this here I want you to look at this link here I want you to you know here's a blog post read this here's some pictures of this send all that home with them they can read all that stuff don't waste all of that time in the clinic doing all this ridiculous education um, because they're not going to take given the the top 10 the top the 10% of what they need Mm -hmm. so think about what you usually would say condense it down to your most important points and make that about 10% of what comes, you know, so that they get those points and then repeat them throughout the eval and the treatment session. Smart. And, Smart. Yeah. And I come back with those every time because then I keep layering. We, we build the basis. They forget it. They do things, you know, they're going to, and I talk, don't be afraid of a flare. You're going to have them. It's going to yeah. happen, but you know how to get yourself out of it a little bit. So yeah, let's, let's carry on. And, you know, just go right back to the things, you know, that we talked about today, you know, um, moving to the right, right, carrying your baby in a bunch of variants of positions. And, you know, as you move, bending over and, you know, those kinds of things, stop and do it different. Just remember those. Keep going. Keep so I repeat them at the end, too. Smart. And that can help. Yeah. Awesome. And then I sent her, uh, you know, some instructions on her massage through her clothes. And, you know, I'm going to set up a desensitization. In my mind, my plan is to set up a desensitization uh, program for her for around her scar so that she can carefully begin to, like I said, as David Butler says, fall back in love with that piece Mm -hmm. of herself. Perfect. (laughs) Right? Because it's so kind when you think about it that way. It is. It is. It's much kinder. And it is. And she needs kindness right now. Yeah. This this woman needs a lot of of kindness, a lot of kindness from others and kindness from herself Mm -hmm. to herself. Yep. Awesome. So now we've, we have, you took us through the eval, your objective, some treatment options. Is there anything else that we are missing 
from this patient? So I don't think there's anything that we were missing from that, but I think what we could talk about just a little bit is kind of plan and progression. Uh-huh. Perfect. You know, because oftentimes I think we get a little lost, like, okay, I did all that. Now, where am I going to go next? So I'm not, I, I know I talked about a compression belt. I'm not saying that some sort of support for her, external support, might, is not, is not possible. It is, and it may be probable as she, as her pregnancy advances. As she gets a this little is, bigger. This is her second pregnancy, and it came real quick on top of the first one. And as much as she's trying to build her tissues up, she may need a little support, you know, for the, you know, front load. And it doesn't have to be a compression belt, but it may it could be something that's easy to put on that supports and lifts the belly a little bit. I won't know that until she gets closer to getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Right. We're right now. She, you can't even hardly tell just a little pooch at 13 weeks. Yeah. Um, she's tall and has a long torso. So she, you know, she's not, she's, she's not going to show as quick as some other women in their second pregnancy really fast. Um, so that's one thing to kind of keep in mind and, and I'll plant that seed with her as we kind of move forward. I'm not going to give that to her on day one because what are they here? I need a brace. I need a brace. I need a brace. No, we're not mm-hmm. going to go there. Right. Because she got better with just the movement right now. So if that continues great, if we feel like we need to support the tissue as she moves forward with more exercise and stuff like that, we can do that. That's easy to do. Um, the other thing is that she still needs more strategies for getting in and out of bed and for, you know, crawling around on the floor with her little one and, you know, for being able to uh, handle this larger load that this little one is becoming every week. So you can imagine every week her pregnancy changes, but every week her baby is growing. So she's, you know, so getting her to load in different patterns because she's going to load. It would be lovely to say, well, let's get this pattern set and these patterns set and then we'll load them, which, you know, sounds reasonable, but that ain't going to happen this time. You know, you know, pregnancy is a full-time, you know, having a family is a contact sport. This baby's jumping on her and loving her and squirming out of her arms and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I need to help her figure out strategies to cope with that. And so we'll advance those. And some of the ways we can advance them is using breath and voice as she moves to make sure that she's not breath holding because that was a strategy that she really likes to use. And I want to invite the other muscles to come on. So the breath and the voice helps automate those deeper postural control muscles, which are important. So singing to her baby as she's walking along. Great stuff, you know, uh, making sure that she doesn't breath hold when she gets in and out of bed, Mm. but making sure that that strategy also doesn't worry her about her scar. So Mm -hmm. we're treading a little careful there. I didn't spend a lot of time. I just helped her. She kind of figured out a way to kind of pull herself up to sitting and walk her legs off the bed. And she liked that and it worked for her. And, you know, I, I'm not going to have an argument about it. I know other people would be like, oh my God, you can't sit straight up and do that. And it's like... I, she, she did it and it didn't hurt her and it didn't scare her about her scar. Great. Great. We'll, yeah. we'll give you more variants later. <laughs> what I just really wanted her was to walk out of there feeling empowered and not like, I still can't move without my scar being pulled, you know? So, so that's kind of where I would head with, I will actually have head with progression with her. Um, now I have her working. She's, we're doing um, the clock on the floor and, you know, so she's, she can do that. You know, she can turn on the app and, and th- there's an app called um, Clock, Clock Yourself. Yourself. I love that app. I don't mm-hmm. know where it's been all my life. Thank God somebody showed it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, she can turn it on and hold her baby 
and she's working on just doing like steps, you know, in all different directions, which is great because she can go lateral. She goes backwards to the backwards quadrant to the front quadrant. And this is supine. She's doing uh, no, no, she's doing standing. this in standing. Oh, yeah. okay, sorry. Yeah. So, because I'm trying to build up, you know, the, that weight, weight shifting shift. strategies yeah. and, and, Got it. and some Got easy it. lunges and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I have her right now shifting weight and doing it. So she did off of one foot and back into the foot mm -hmm. on the center and, you know, changing, mm -hmm. we're going to progress mm -hmm. to lunges, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and we're going to, you know, my hope is, is that we're going to progress to even jumps, you know, she's already doing sure. stairs. So she just, you know, I told her, I said, do stairs your your job is to find two different strategies for carrying your baby up and down the stairs go for it you know i just don't want it to hurt so she's found that um she actually when she came back the last time she said this is what i love to do she puts her baby over her left shoulder because <laughs> it's fun for her baby and holds on to her and up the stairs they go Perfect. And her baby's just like screaming in delight, you know, because kids love to be turned upside down and it works sure. for her. And she said, I feel like I'm not being like doing that twisty, funny thing. Awesome. So fantastic. So she's having fun and laughing and getting stronger with load, you know, in a different strategy. So that's kind of where um, we're headed. Awesome. Well, that's a great peek into how you are evaluating, treating, and thinking about these patients when they come in and how just because where the pain is doesn't mean that's where source of dysfunction is. And I think that's very important to remember because at some point, I think in most PT's careers, they're probably going to see a woman who's pregnant. Oh, please. I hope you do. So, There's way so, too many of them out there and we can't treat them all. Yeah. So please, it's, please, please treat the pregnant woman. It's good, <laughs> good to know that when you're to, to not be so focused on what you think is happening, but rather let's keep yourself open to looking up and down the chain and up and down through the body and, and really get deep into what they're feeling. What are these fears? What might be holding them back? And that's what, those are my biggest takeaways from what you Wonderful. just described of this patient. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Great takeaways. Thanks. And now uh, one question that I always ask all my guests, sorry, I should have told you this before, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So the question is, if you were to give yourself advice as a new grad, knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself? That's an excellent question. So I will, there's, there's several directions I can go, but I'll, I'll stick with the clinical one because it actually touches on the professional growth one as well. Provide as much variance in your patient population that you see right now as possible. Don't be afraid of treating a patient that is either complex or has, you know, has symptoms or systems involved that you're, un that you're either uncomfortable with or unsure of. So take on the cardiovascular patient. Take on the patient with um, a, you know, central nervous system problem. Take on the patient, you know, an ortho do neuro. If you can do neuro, you can do ortho. I love it. I mean, it all, all of the stuff fits together, but we all have nerves in our bones and joints and everything all run by the central nervous system. So the more variance you can give yourself in your practice, the more that you're going to be able to look out, look at the whole person and not just a region. 
So that's, that's, that's the best advice I can give. Great keep, advice. Keep, keep as much variance in your practice as possible so that you'll be a little bit more nimble when you run into things that you've never heard of before. That fall outside the box. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Great advice. And now, you know, this whole month I'm interviewing other podcast hosts. So you are a podcast host with our good friend, Erica Mello. Mm -hmm. And the name of your podcast is Tough to Treat. And it's a little bit of what we did today, right? So if people really liked what we did today, they should hop over on iTunes or SoundCloud or iHeartRadio or Google Play or Spotify and look for Tough to Treat because you're going to get a lot more of this. Am I right? Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. This is exactly what we do is we present um, uh, patient problems and interesting cases and talk about them and talk about variants and what I would look at, what she would look at, how we would do things a little bit different, how we would do things the same. Perfect. Yep. So check out Tough to Treat and where can people find you if if they want more Susan? You can find me um, at embody-pt.com. That is my uh, website for my business. And you're certainly welcome to email me at susan at embody-pt.com. That's my email. Um, And finally, I'm on Facebook, S. Clinton PT. I'm sorry, Susan Coel Clinton uh, on Facebook, C-O-E-L. That's how you find me. And then I am on, on Twitter and Instagram as S. Clinton PT. Perfect. Perfect. So go find her, ask her questions. She is based outside of Pittsburgh, suburb of of Pittsburgh, right? Right. So if you have these tough to treat pelvic cases or tough to treat cases in general, and you need someone, you need a second opinion, here's your lady. Here she is. She's right here. So reach out to her. So Susan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing this little mini masterclass with us. So thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And everyone else, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.